But yeah, like Justin said, my name is, is David. For those of you guys that, that don't know me, I'm part of the, uh, the preaching team here at Zion, which is slowly starting to feel more like a full contact sport than anything else. Um, I, I like fractured my toe last week. Justin got hurt last week. John Rodriguez is hurt. Um, so before you uh, start to think you want to be a preacher, just really count the cost. Uh, make sure you have health insurance. And, uh, and yeah, just a lot, of, a lot to consider there. But, but yeah, I'm super excited to, uh, to get to, to, to continue in the book of Luke. Uh, like Justin said, we've seen a lot happening. We've seen a miraculous birth. We've seen demons get cast out. And today we're going to see Jesus start to, to heal people. So we're in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 38 through 41. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 38 through 41. Um, it's a short verse, a short, a short passage, but there's a lot, a lot for us here. But before we, we get into it, I want to ask you guys a question. I want to start with a question. Uh, it's rhetorical, though if you have a really, really good answer, feel free to shout it out. Um, have you ever had to like prove yourself to someone or something? Uh, you can think about it for a minute. Like, when's the last time you really had to, like, prove yourself? Like, maybe you said something and people didn't really believe you, and so you had to say, no, 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 look, I can really do this. Um, maybe it was in the context of relationship, right? Like, you're trying to, trying to date somebody, you got your significant other, and you've got to prove to them that you're some sort of Rico Suave, can bench press 300 pounds. Um, or maybe it was like a sports team, trying out for a sports team, right? You got to prove to the coach that you're the fastest, you're the strongest, you're good enough to play this sport. Uh, personally, for some reason, I kept trying out for basketball in middle school and uh, early high school. I was trying to prove to the coach that in my heart, I really was 6'2 and had a jump shot. Um, in the end, I was able to warm a bench for about an hour and a half on Thursday nights. Um, so, so failed it there. Uh, if, if anybody here has ever done like higher education, like a master's degree or a doctorate, you know you spend hours and hours, you write hundreds of pages of research. Then you get back up at the end of the semester and you stand before a board of, of academics and professors and you have to prove to them that you really are who you say you are, that you really know the things that you say you know and they interrogate you and they ask you questions and you have to go through all of these things to prove yourself and say, no, I really have this knowledge. I've really done these things. And I believe that's kind of the position that we find Jesus in this morning, uh, as we look at the passage, the passage is about when Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And I know you guys are saying, wait, wait, we don't really see that in the passage. Um, but a few weeks ago, John preached us through the beginning of Luke chapter 4. You guys might remember Jesus gets up in the synagogue, right? And it's his turn to, to read a scripture. And he reads this scripture. It's in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, and uh, Jesus is quoting a prophecy from the book of Isaiah that's about the coming Messiah. So Jesus reads this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus reads this prophecy, and he says, This prophecy is about me. He says, I'm fulfilling this in your hearing. This prophecy is coming true right here, right now. And if you guys remember when John preached this, the people didn't react very well. They became like outraged. They formed a mob. They tried to take him to, the, to a cliff and to throw him off a cliff to kill him. And, and something like something out of like the twilight zone happens. It's really weird. Jesus just kind of like walks through their midst like nothing is wrong. And, and yeah, amen. And, 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 and I think like at this point, right, they're like, if we can't kill him, then prove it. 
prove that these things that you just said about yourself are true. And so from that moment on, from the moment they're not able to kill him, but Jesus said these verses are about me, we see Jesus start to do three things. There's three things that Jesus starts to do. He begins to teach, he begins to cast out demons, and he begins to heal people. And so we've already seen him teaching. I think John preached on that, that he was preaching with, as somebody with authority that people had never, ever experienced something like this before, this, this teaching with authority. Justin uh, took us through last week how he cast out a demon, um, and, and Justin was able to kind of show us how that was showing that he was, he was the Lord and he had authority over this unseen realm of spirits and of demons. And then today we're going to see the first healing ever in Jesus's ministry in the book of Luke. And who he heals and, and how he heals them is going to show us that uh, Jesus's authority and his power doesn't just end at the spiritual realm, but that he has things to say over the, the physical realm as well. And man, I was just like, as we were worshiping, I was just struck by this. I know I was like studying it all week and, and talking about it, but I just remember like, like when we were worshiping, I'm just looking around this building and I'm looking at the brick and I'm looking at the children and I'm thinking about their schools and I'm seeing you guys also worshiping and we're all like these physical bodies doing physical things. And I'm just reminded like Jesus sees all this and he still says like it's mine. He's, he, I'm still Lord over this. I'm present in this. I'm working in this too. And so I think there's just going to be a good word for us here this morning to just remind us that Jesus is Lord over the physical realm. Um, so we're going to read the scriptures and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to, we're going to dive in. So starting off in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, it says this. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who were sick and with various diseases uh, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Church, let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the most powerful person in this room right now, that you are intimately aware of every detail, of every person, of every thought, of every injury, of every sickness, of every disease. And Lord, we know that you alone have authority in this place. And so, Lord, we just invite you into our midst. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to, to see the scriptures, give us hearts to understand, Father. And Lord, yeah, we just pray that your spirit would have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are hydrated and we are ready to go. Um, so, so our passage this week literally just picks up right where Justin left off last week. Like it's literally in like the same hour, the same day, the same moment. If you look at the beginning of verse 38, it says, and he rose and he left the synagogue. So the synagogue was right where this guy had just like popped up, demon possessed, and Jesus cast out the demon. And so Jesus, he, he literally just cast it out. He told it, like, get out of here. And the, the spirit obeyed and left the man. And people are like floored. They're like, we've never seen anybody handle demons the way that this guy just handled a demon. And so let me ask you, like, if somebody popped up in the service right now, was like losing their minds, and suddenly you feel the, 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 the power of the spirit of the Lord come upon you, and you're like, you know what, I think I need to lay hands on that guy. And you lay hands on that guy, and the demon leaves and flees, and you're just like, in a literal sense, like, oh my God. 
Like, I have the power to cast out demons. Like, what would be your next move? Like, personally, I would, like, strap up. I'm like, I got three people right now that I know need this, and, and I'm going to go find them. And I'm like, I'm about to go storm. <laughs> Somebody goes, is it me? No, it's not you. Um, and, like, I'm about to go, like, storm the gates of hell. Um, but what does Jesus do? He goes to lunch. He's like, it's after church. Um, I come from the South where you have like five different denominations on the same block. So you got like Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. You're always like, we got to beat the Methodists to Arby's, you know, like, like I'm getting out of here. Um, so that's why like my church, we bumped our services up 30 minutes. Um, so we were able to like beat the Methodists, but not the Presbyterians. Um, so, so anyway, so Jesus is like, it's time for lunch. And so he goes to Simon's house. Now, Simon is the same person that will eventually become known as the disciple Peter. Um, and so he's kind of gotten to know Jesus a little bit, like they're aware, like he, he probably definitely invited Jesus. So Jesus was invited to his house. So this is the same Simon that's going to uh, eventually walk on water, uh, the same one that's going to be the first to declare that Jesus is the Christ. And it's also going to be the, the same one that's going to deny him three times before he's crucified. And so he's a fisherman. He's not a wealthy guy. He's just kind of like towards the bottom of the totem pole in this society. And when, when Jesus gets to his house, he finds things a bit like disordered. There's, there's a problem. Uh, Simon's mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, is sick. It says that she, she has a fever. And so what do they do? They kind of, they kind of form a bit of a band, and they, they start to plead and ask Jesus to, to heal her. And he does it right? It's pretty amazing. The first healing in the Gospel of Luke goes to Simon's mother-in-law. But there's something really interesting if we look at how it was that he healed her. Look at verse 39 with me real quick. It says this, he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. He stood over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. Uh, if you remember the passage that Justin read last week, uh, we should right away notice something a bit interesting. And if you want to jump up really quick to verse 35, it's where, where Justin had us last week. Um, it says this. This is Jesus now casting out the demon. It said, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Do you see that? Do you see the similarity that Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law of a fever much in the same way that he healed a man possessed by a demon. How did he do it? He did it through power, through authority, and through rebuking. And that should be an interesting question for us. Like, why does he heal her of a fever the same way that he healed this man of a demon possession? So some of us might say, well, maybe the fever was from a demon. Maybe the fever was straight from the hand of Satan. Um, and honestly, when I read the scriptures, I, I say, I don't, I don't think that's the case. You might say, David, like, what do you mean? How do you know? How are you sure that's not the case? Well, well, this healing is literally like sandwiched between demon possessions. Like if you look above this passage, there's a demon possession. You look below it, there's a demon possession. And what do we see demons doing when they're in the presence of Jesus? It's almost like oil and water. Like they can't be in the same room. They start to freak out and they're crying out like you are the son of God and, and they have to leave and get out of there. But whenever he's healing Simon's mother-in-law, we don't see any of that happening and so the question is, was this from a demon? I don't think it is. But what we're seeing here is not that this was from a demon, but that Jesus had the same authority over a fever that's in the physical realm, that's in the seen realm, as he does over a demon that sits in the unseen realm. 
right? Do you guys see that? Like he's not over here like casting out a demon and this person's got a fever and he's like checking it on WebMD because he doesn't know what to do. Um, I know some of you done that, right? Like you hurt your toe, you check it on WebMD and then now you've got like a terminal illness with three weeks to live. Um, I do it all the time. But no, that's not what he's doing. He has authority over the unseen realm, yes, of demons and spirits, but then he has authority also over the seen realm. This is the realm of dirt and the realm of like microorganisms and germs and all these things. And, and this isn't actually a new concept. And we can see this all throughout Scripture that Jesus has authority in both places. Yes, in the heavens. Yes, in the unseen realm. But also here on earth. One of my favorite scriptures and uh, favorite passages in all of Scripture comes from Colossians. Uh, and I love that we kind of sang this at the end when, when Jeff switched into worthy of it all. I'm just like, yes, Lord, like you know what I'm about to preach this morning. Um, because some of those, those words from this song, that song come from this passage. It's Colossians 1. Uh, verse 15 through 16, it's some of the best words in scriptures about Jesus. It says this, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All right, I just love that. It says that he was before him, all things were created, both visible and invisible. What is this saying? That he's Lord over the invisible? Yes, that he can see the demons and the spirits and, and the things that we don't see, but he also sees the visible. He sees the things that we see. He sees the people. He sees the suffering. He sees the brokenness, and he's Lord over all of that, too. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes, like, in my thoughts about Jesus, I can kind of start to, to, to emphasize, like, one over the other, Right? Like there's times where I'm like, yes, Jesus is all for like salvation and joy and like all of those like intangible things that we associate the Christian life with. Um, but I forget that like he's involved in like literally like the boring, mundane, everyday things of life. Um, some people can do the opposite, right? Where they start to think that Jesus really only cares about like justice and alleviating poverty and healing sickness and that he's not really about like salvation and people's sanctification. He doesn't really care like spiritually uh, what goes on in our life. But what we're seeing in this passage is that he's really, he's over both of them. There's no separation when it comes to Jesus that he cares about the physical and not the, uh, the intangible or that he only cares about the spiritual things and not the physical things. And, and some of you, you've followed Jesus long enough to actually, like, know this to be true in your, your own experience, um, where, like, you've seen God do, like, incredible spiritual work in your life. Like, you've seen him come in and save you. You've seen him conquer sin. You've seen him give you joy in situations and times and places where you shouldn't have joy. But then you've also seen him, like, kind of provide for you physically, right? Like, maybe it was like he gave you the right job at the right place. He paid for a bill in a miraculous way that you weren't expecting or brought a friendship or a relationship into your life, like right when you needed it. And it was, it's almost weird, right? You're like, oh, it's almost like Jesus knows like these weird, insignificant details of my life and what I needed when I needed it. Um, honestly, I have, I have so many examples of this in my own life. Um, I have way too many to name, and I'm, I'm actually kind of embarrassed to like talk about most of them because some of the things, they seem so petty and so insignificant that if I were to tell you, like, you know, I think God worked in this way, you would be like, that's ridiculous. Like, God is the God of the universe. He doesn't care about these small things in your life. But so many of these things have happened in really peculiar ways that I can't help but, like, attribute it to God. Um, I'll give you a quick example. And like I said, it's embarrassing. Um, so if you want to, like, laugh or whatever, go for it. But um, so I, I first moved to Brooklyn at the beginning of, of 2018. 
Uh, that's when I got connected with Zion. I remember the first time I met Justin. If you talk to him about it, he'll tell you he thought I was going to stick around for like a whole two months at most. He was like, he'll be here for two months. Joke's on him. Four years later, I got the microphone. Uh, I'm still here. <laughs> and so, so I moved to Brooklyn at the beginning of 2018. Now, before that time, um, from the time I graduated college, it was a few years, and then 2018, I moved to to Brooklyn. It was a really, really crazy time. I mean, like the Lord's hand was in it. It was a, it was a good time. Um, I lived abroad for a while, but then after that, like I was really transitory. Like I was never staying anywhere more than like six months at a time. Um, and so like there was a time I was literally, I was just like living out of a big backpack and a duffel bag. Um, and I was just sleeping like on a sleeping bag. Like I had, I had apartments, I was paying rent in places, but like I didn't buy bed sheets. Because I was like, in three weeks, I'm probably going to move, and I don't want to have to figure out how to get rid of bed sheets. So I was just like camping 24-7 in like apartments and stuff. It was, it was a crazy, crazy time. But then when I moved to Brooklyn, I really felt like the Lord was telling me like, hey, you're going to be here for a minute. So like settle down, trade in the sleeping bag, uh, <laughs> you know, get some bed sheets. I did. It was one of the first things. Uh, and, you know, actually start to kind of like put down some roots, put, put forth some effort into where you're living. So I was like, all right, Lord. And this was when I was living on 77th Street with, with Joseph Martin. Many of you visited us in that, that apartment. And, uh, and so, yeah, I remember I'm starting to, like, make moves to, like, kind of make an apartment feel like home. Like, I put a picture on the wall. <laughs> like, big deal. I bought a lamp. Um, and then I remember, like, I had this, like, certain aesthetic and vibe. I'm not an interior decorator. I'm pretty awful at it. But I had a certain vibe that I was going for with the room. And uh, I was living on 77th Street above a, a pub, which is a terrible, terrible decision. Don't ever do that. Um, really, really noisy, especially at like 2 a.m. And so I'm like, I need a fan, uh, both because it's hot, but I need like, you know, a powerful fan that's going to emit some noise, drown out the pub on the street. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, you know, I just need like a good like box fan, right? But I had an aesthetic, I had a vibe. So it's like, it can't just be like a white clunky box fan. It needs like to be like kind of black and sleek and like look cool. I know, like I said, it's embarrassing. It's weird. Um, and so I'm like going to all these stores and I'm looking for a fan. I'm looking for a fan. I can't find it. Nothing's, nothing's like, I'm just like, it's not it. I don't want to settle. I got standards all of a sudden. And, <laughs> and, and so I remember like giving up, giving up in one of the stores. And it wasn't even like really a prayer. I was just like, all right, Lord, whatever. It's in your hands. I don't care about this fan anymore. Um, so, but I didn't buy one because I was like, no, no, no. I'm just not, not doing it. Um, and so I remember I left the store, and I can't remember if it was that day or that week, but I kid you not, this is not a lie, I come up out of the 77th Street station, I hook a right, walking up 77th Street towards our apartment, and on the right side of the sidewalk is a black box fan with a sign on it that says, free. I'm not lying. I didn't, I didn't lose a single step. I didn't stop to see, like, oh my God, is this real? Am I hallucinating? I, like, I just grabbed it and just kept walking. Uh, and... And I promise to God, it's still in our apartment. It was the last thing I turned off before I left today. And so, and so really, it's like whether it's the big overarching things in our life, like who are we going to marry, where are we going to live, what are we going to do with our lives, or the minute details like a box fan, um, the Lord has power and authority over it all. Yeah, but say amen for the box fan. Come on. Come on, I'm preaching up here. Um, and so, yeah, Jesus has authority over the seen realm, just like he has authority over the unseen realm. So that was the first point. I didn't tell you that's what it was, but that's, that's what it was, that he has authority and lordship over everything that we see and over everything that we're experiencing here in the tangible physical realm, whether it's disease, microorganisms, bacteria, germs, box fans, political parties, cities, city blocks, all of it, Jesus is over it all. 
And so, so he doesn't only have authority over these things. He's not only Lord over these things, but he's also reorganizing them. Okay, so he's Lord over the unseen realm, and he's also, or sorry, he's Lord over the seen realm, and he's also Lord over the, or he's also reorganizing the seen realm. Uh, how many of you have ever seen that show? It's called like uh, Undercover Boss. Has anybody ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, I've seen like, I've seen like two episodes, okay? Um, and if you've never seen the show, it kind of works like this. Like they'll take a, a, like a famous franchise or chain like Domino's, KFC, something like that, and they'll take like a CEO from the top of the ladder and they'll put them in disguise, like give them a mustache, give them a wig, something like that, and then they'll plug them into like a grassroots location. So imagine taking somebody from like high up on the chain and, and Domino's, and they put them on the Domino's on like 84th Street and 5th and Bay Ridge, right? And they just plug them in there so they can kind of see how are things going like at the grassroots level of their company. You know, is this, is this location reflecting the values and the ethics that we, we've tried to implement at the top? Are we seeing it also at the bottom? And if you've seen the show, you know, sometimes it kind of goes like they, they usually put the boss, like the undercover CEO usually ends up like under a manager. And sometimes the manager's not very good. Like he's like smoking on the job or like, you know, taking food or like, you know, not being kind to the employees. And then at the very end of the episode, usually the, the undercover CEO like takes off the disguise. Everybody's shocked. Um, and then they usually have to start reordering things based on what they saw at the grassroots level, right? Like maybe they demote the manager so that the manager can learn some humility. Maybe they start to try to find better ways to train people so that they can live out the values that they have decided at the top. And when Jesus comes and begins to have his earthly ministry, we see he begins to do something really similar. He begins to reorder things. And we see him prioritizing and giving attention to things in the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of humans, the kingdom of man, was not prioritizing or giving attention to. Uh, because you see, the kingdom of, of man, the way that we usually organize our society, it kind of goes like this. We give the most attention to people who have the most political or like military power. And then after that, we give our attention to people who have the most financial power. And then after that, we give our attention to people who have the most religious power. And then after that, we just kind of have like, like everybody else. So if you were to put this in like, uh, our terms today, like at the top, like when we're looking at our news headlines, right? Like we care about, you know, people like like the Queen and President Biden and Trump and, and all this crazy politics going up here. Like that gets so much of our attention uh, because we're like living in the kingdom of humans still. And then after that, we begin to think of financial things. Like we're following the stock markets and people who, who have a lot of money. And then we start to follow like religious leaders. So you got your mega church, your big name pastors. And then you have like all the normal people that we just like argue with on Twitter, right? Um, and so Jesus comes, and he really just flips this whole system on its head, all right? Because he's not prioritizing and giving attention to the things that the kingdom of man prioritizes and gives attention to. And we see this just by simply looking at whose house did he come to in order to heal somebody first. I mean, he, he had endless options at the synagogues. The dude just cast out a demon. Like, everybody probably wants to hang out with him. Um, he could have gone to the synagogue leader. He could have gone to a local ruler. He could have gone to a Pharisee's house, maybe the Roman's house. But whose house does he go to? He goes to Simon. Simon is like a strikingly ordinary man. Probably not even that ordinary. He's more like on the lower part of the totem pole. Like, that would be like if Jesus were to come down into Brooklyn today, um, he wouldn't go to my house. He wouldn't go to Justin's house. He would go to like, uh, I don't know, like a dock worker's house or a truck driver's house. Like that's the type of people um, that he's 
prioritizing. And we're going to see, like, this is a theme in Jesus' ministry where he begins to flip the societal order on its head, and he begins to, to prioritize different things. This goes back to that prophecy that we read at the very beginning in, in Luke 4.18. He said he came to proclaim good news to who? Good news to the poor. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. Um, that word, when it's used in Hebrew, yes, it means poor, like, like financially poor, but it's also a, it's a bigger meaning. It doesn't just mean people who are broke and don't have money. It means like people who are social outcasts, people who are just lowly for any and every reason. So like Jesus isn't like, you know, checking people's tax statements to see like, oh, you're in a different bracket this year. I can't heal you. You made too much money. You got to go get some health insurance. Um, but no, he's, he's tuning into the people who have really nowhere else to go but him. And those are the people that he begins to to raise up. So these are people who are socially outcast. Like that's why we see him showing grace to a tax collector. Tax collectors had money, um, but their people hated them. They were hated by everybody. And yet Jesus shows them grace and says, you have a place in the kingdom of God. He, said, he does this to the physically poor, the people who are paralyzed, who are blind, who have leprosy, that people wouldn't even touch them. At most, maybe give them a little money when they pass by. Jesus says, no, 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 you have a place here too. And he does it to those who are spiritually outcast. Like I said, it's anybody who didn't have a leg to stand on, but just simply had a deep need for Jesus. And what he's doing here, if you imagine the kingdom of God was like a tent, right? Um, before Jesus came, people assumed that in this tent that is the kingdom of God, you would only find those who were really, really religious, religiously educated, or very, very powerful, okay? But what Jesus does is he begins to expand that tent, right? Like, if you ever put up one of those, like, pop-up tents, right? Like, he grabs a leg, and he just starts to make it bigger, and suddenly the people who have room in the kingdom of God are the prostitutes, the paralyzed, the lepers, the children, the widows, the tax collectors. And at some times, and this is a different sermon, even, like, the Roman colonizers, right? Like, you see Jesus somehow saying, wait, there's, there's a space in here for you, too, um, whenever they realize their deep need for, for him. And so that's, that's a different sermon. Um, but Simon's mom was also in this category. Why? Because she was a woman in a Judeo, in an ancient uh, Judean civilization, right? Like they were just above the status of like children in terms of like what they could do and what kind of rights they had. Yet her house is the one that Jesus goes to first. Her house is the one that he goes to first. Why? Because he's saying the kingdom of God is no longer organized under the same hierarchy that the kingdom of man was organized under. I kind of think about it this way. Um, this is like another, it's a nerdy example. Um, but a week ago, I watched, uh, I watched this movie. It's just called like King Arthur. It's like a movie from like the mid-2000s. I watched it when it first came out in theaters. I haven't watched it since. I think I just put it on because I felt like watching somebody sword fight. Um, and, and I put it on, and there was something that was really striking about, about the movie. It takes place in, like, medieval England, King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table, all that, right? And the movie starts, and there's, like, this, this like, pompous, like, privileged uh, bishop coming from, from Rome, and he's super religious, and he goes on this long journey because he has to send Arthur and his knights on, like, one last mission, right? And he arrives, and, and he's going in to meet with Arthur and his knights, and he's already planning, like, where in the table he's going to sit. He's, he's, he's picturing it's going to be like a rectangular, normal table, and, and how he's going to sit at the head of the table because he's got the most, most power. And he walks into the room, and what does he find? If you know King Arthur, he's got a round table that him and his knights sit in, and he's immediately just like insulted. He's like, there's not a head of the table for me to sit at. And, and King Arthur says something like, like, here, my Lord, all men are equal. Choose whichever seat you would like. 
And I feel like that's kind of what Jesus has done when it comes to bringing the kingdom of God about. He's inviting us to sit at a round table where he's at the center of it all. And, and this has like huge, huge implications for us both. And it's really important that we understand this because it changes how we see ourselves as well as how we see others. It means that the lowly, the lowly among us, whether it's poor, socially, outcast, whatever it is, it means that they have been lifted up and that they have a seat at the table. And it means those of us that come from privileged and powerful backgrounds, we've been given an invitation to be humbled and also find ourselves sitting at a table that revolves around Jesus and not our own personal worth, not our own personal power, um, but we get to sit next to each other as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Um, and that's huge. And so Jesus has come and he's literally like started to do this. You're going to see this throughout the rest of Luke as we begin to look at his works. He's going to start to raise up the poor and the lowly. And it makes people so mad, right? And even us, we should see this be like, Jesus, you are like reorienting the way that society has worked for thousands of years. Who do you think you are? This is audacious, you know? And the crazy thing is the text answers that question. If we look at this, like, who, who does he think that he is? The text answers it, and it's in a bit of a cryptic way, but look at verse 41. It says, and demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. So Jesus is able to reorient everything. Why? It's because the kingdom of God that he's inaugurating, the kingdom of God that he's bringing, it's his kingdom. He's the son of God. It belongs to him. And that's just got huge implications for his power, for his identity, and who he is. It means that nothing short of the Son of God has visited earth, and he has the power to reorganize the whole way we've ever done anything. Um, and that's really, really good news. And so, so that's, that's Jesus. That's his power. Like I said, he's the Lord of the unseen realm, and he's begun to reorganize all of it. And that's, that's good news. But like, what does that mean for us as we walk out being Christians, as we walk out being children of God in 2022 in Brooklyn, New York, um, there's three quick things that I want us to take away, and then we're in the process of, of wrapping it up. But the three things I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to kind of dive into them a bit, a bit deeper. Three things that this, this, this gives us. First, it shows us that the physical world does matter. The physical world is important. The second thing, is, it shows us that while the physical world is important, we're not slaves to the physical world. And the third thing is, is even though we live in a physical world, we're part of a heavenly kingdom. All right, so the first thing, really quickly, the physical world does matter. And this is really, really important for us to understand as Christians, because I feel like sometimes we kind of treat life as like it's like this trial or like this hard thing that we go through, but then we eventually get to die and go to heaven, and that's like when the fun really starts. Um, but we have to understand life was never meant to be about just waiting around to die and to go to heaven. Um, if that were the case, when Jesus walks in and he finds Simon's mother-in-law sick with a fever, the last thing he would have done is heal her. He would have gone up and be like, hey, do you believe in me? Do you understand I'm the Messiah? Good, great, all right, die. I'll see you in a little bit. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what he does. He heals her um, and restores her to her role and her function in society. It says that she got up and she began to serve them. Uh, we got to be really careful how we read this. If, if we read it through our current lens, we'll be like, man, Jesus just really wanted a sandwich. And so he healed her and like let her do her thing. Like That's not the way Like um, Simon's mother-in-law, I don't know, like, for her, like she was the, in many ways, like the empress of her house. Like that was her domain. And, and anybody that came in or went out, like they were under her protection. And, and she 
was the one that was responsible for stewarding that space and making sure her guests were fed and taken care of. And, and honestly, I can't read this without thinking of my, my own mother-in-law. Like if you know Nancy, um, if somebody were to come into Nancy's house and she was incapable, like physically incapable of like serving them and just lavishing kindness and goodness on them, like it would like destroy her. Um, I only know that because I go and I bother her at least on a weekly basis for food. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, like, I just think, like, you know, if Nancy was sick and, like, bedridden, like, and somebody came into her house, like, it would torture her. And one of the best things that the Lord would be able to do for her in that moment is give her the example to steward that gift that God's given her of hospitality and service and, and making good better knee. Um, and so, <laughs> praise God. Anyways, um, and so, yeah, Jesus, all that to say, like, Jesus cares about the things that you're doing, right? This physical world does matter. And so whether it's serving in a household or being an accountant or working in a restaurant or pastoring a church or teaching in a classroom or being a student, Jesus's hands are in that and they matter to him because you matter to him. All right, so that's the first thing. The physical world does matter. And even though it matters, the second thing, we're not slaves to this physical world because yes, even though there's health and stability and and roles that God has given us to do in this physical world, at the end of the day, the physical world is broken. Like, that's why Simon's mother-in-law was sick in the first place, because sin entered into the world. And so suddenly we can get sick, we can lose jobs, we can lose security, relationships can be, can be fractured, and all this takes place in the seen world. And yes, sometimes Jesus heals, sometimes he restores relationships, sometimes he gives new work. But we have to understand that even when these things don't happen, we're not a slave to the physical world. So like, our lives don't have to come crashing down um, Instead, there's an invitation to still trust Jesus because as we've seen in the story, he's not removed from these things. He's aware of the brokenness. He sees the brokenness. He enters into it. And so when there's not healing, when there's not restoration, when things in the physical world aren't going how we would design them, there's an invitation to just trust Jesus and be like, you're the, you're the Lord of this place, this broken, sometimes dusty, hurtful, harmful place. And I'm going to trust that you're still working and that you're still bringing about your kingdom. And I'm just going to like hide under your wing in this moment. So we don't have to be slaves to the physical world in the way that like when the physical world crashes down around us, we have to crash too. All right. And then the last thing, the last thing, this is kind of what I was talking about with the round table. We're part of this physical world, but we're also part of a heavenly kingdom. And that means Jesus, he invites us into this reordered kingdom, this reordered society where the lowly get raised up and the, and the proud get to be humbled to all sit at the same uh, table. And the reality is that's not something that just happens up in heaven. Like, like I said, we don't wait till we die and then fun, uh, suddenly we're, we're all equal and we can all get along. But there's an invitation for Jesus right here and now to reorient our lives around his design instead of the world's design. And really like all that really takes, I guess like my, my, my action that I would extend to you is just like take an audit real quick of like what gets your attention? What do you spend most of your time thinking and like letting shape you? Is it the people who are, high up on the totem pole, but then also look around you. Is there an invitation to think about people who, who come from outside your social spectrum, your social group, to spend time with somebody who's different than you, even if it's in the church? Like, the good, like praise God, the beauty of our church is we got people from so many different um, places and walks of life and just different degrees in society, and there's like an invitation even in this room to be part of God's reordered kingdom where everybody has a seat at the table and he's the center of it all. 
And so I just want you to really think about, uh, we're about to go into like a time of, of prayer. Like what are those things in your physical seen existence that you struggle to really believe that Jesus is Lord over? Whether it's like who you're going to marry or what you're supposed to do with your life, or even it's just like, man, I don't even, I need an apartment. I don't know where I'm going to go. Uh, what are those things that you're just assuming, no, Jesus is too busy doing the spiritual important things to care about this minute detail in my life? And what would it look like this morning for you to take that and put it before him in prayer and maybe even invite somebody else from the church? We're going to have leaders that'll be stationed and, and ready to pray with you to bring, to finally bring those physical seen things into the presence of God and see what he wants to do. Church, let's, let's pray together. Father God, we, we worship you. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the Lord of everything that we see. God, when we look at our, our skin, when we look at our bodies, when we look at this building, when we look at our neighborhoods, when we look at the people that are hurting and sick and broken around us, when we look at the people who are doing okay and healthy and working, God, we know you are Lord over all of it. And God, we ask for the courage to invite you into the physical spaces of our life, that God, when we see people who are sick and hurting, that we would lay on hands and heal, because we know that you also had a heart for those who were sick and hurting and wanted to see them healed, Father. We pray that whenever the physical realm doesn't work out how we like, that we would trust that you are still Lord and over all of it. Lord, we know that everything that we see and everything that we don't see was created by you and for you. And so we just want to give you what's already yours. And we want to trust your presence and trust your hands in this place. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. We just pray that you would help us to, to, to worship now and to seek you in prayer. In Jesus' name.